Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of On Liberty, coming to you live from the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. I'm your host, Salvatore Babonis, and joining me today is reformed politician and social entrepreneur, Peter Baldwin, who is here to tell us about his latest venture, an online magazine called Politics and Civilization. Peter Baldwin, how are you? Very good, thank you. Oh, and thanks for joining us today. Look, <laughs> good enough. Look, I want to start with, with the headline question. If liberalism falls, if it really falls, will that usher in a, quote, new dark age? Well, I think we're at, at a very uh, interesting historical moment where things could go well, but they could also go drastically wrong. So what we have at the moment is the emergence of what I think is a, you know, a totalitarian hegemon. I'm talking about the CCP regime in China, which has mm -hmm. already within its own borders managed to institute a system of surveillance, which uh, even beyond the imagination of even of George Orwell. And um, the, if this power becomes to supplant the United States as the world's predominant power, uh, I think the consequences of that are potentially very serious, not least because unlike during the Cold War, where the, the Western and Soviet blocs were more or less hermetically separated, the C CCP regime has tentacles reaching deep into the interstices of all Western societies. And it is able to right. exercise coercion to a considerable extent. Uh, over what takes place. And we're talking about the corporate uh, and media sectors, especially. I don't know if you saw that groveling apology by that um, John Cena, the former professional wrestler and uh, movie star. Oh, who, yes, I did. Uh, who uh, <laughs> inadvertently referred to Taiwan as a um, country rather than a region of China. He, he apologized and blamed it on his poor Chinese. <laughs> yeah, well, he seemed very fluent in uh, Mandarin. And, uh, when, yeah, well. But, uh, but I mean, uh, innumerable instances of that sort can be found. I mean, you wouldn't get an, a Hollywood movie studio nowadays making a movie about the oppression in, in, of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, which, you know, is, is the most extensive uh, incarceration of an ethno-religious minority since the fall of the Third Reich. And yet, you know, these things are, are basically off limits. So already at this stage, we see a, a regime which is totalitarian in orientation, reaching deep into the West and constraining freedom. Now, the big problem at the very time as this is occurring within the West you see this loss of faith in, in the worth of our civilization, which is promulgated all the time through all levels of the education sector, the corporate sector, of course, you know, all the stuff about uh, white, uh, you know, uh, white supremacy pervading all the elements of society. You even have right. uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the American military getting up before Congress talking about the, the need to combat this all-pervasive white supremacy. In other words, the, the civilization we have had, inhabit is, which you know, has delivered so many benefits, is deprecated uh, as essentially worthless. So you've got this great power emerging with no lack of <laughs> self-confidence and a, a, a self-loathing West. 
I think it's incredibly serious. Well, but I'm much more concerned about the deterioration of liberalism in the so-called West uh, than in the threat from China. I mean, the threat from China is, I'm not, I don't want to minimize it, it's very real, but it's mostly real for people in China and for people in their region. How is our own, how does the, the decline in our own liberalism, and maybe I should ask you to define what you mean by liberalism, how does that itself threaten our civilization? Well, um, as I said, I think the two, you have to consider the two things in, in conjunction. That uh, you, 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 within the West, the, the institutions like freedom of speech, uh, freedom of speech and championing it is now regarded among progressive in scare quote circles as a right wing issue. I mean, that's an extraordinary right. position. Uh, when I first got involved in left-wing politics, you know, opposition to censorship of all forms was, was you know, I'm not talking about the communist left, but the, the social democratic left. Right. It, it was an integral part of our, our worldview. And now um, mm -hmm. all over the place, you see, uh, especially in academia, but uh, in other spheres, attempts to constrain and limit speech. So when, I, when you talk about liberalism, I just interpret it in a fairly straightforward sense. That's the belief in the, you know, a, a adherence to their institutions like freedom of speech, the rule of law, democratic governance, mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, I, I don't think any, it needs to be elaborated any more beyond that point, but, but you know, aspects of that are, are coming under unprecedented internal challenge as this rising hegemon appears. We talk about the, the degree to which um, China, could, you know, the China's influence could shape our futures. I think you have to look at the remarkably rapid rise of that regime and its acquisition of economic and military uh, power and just roll the tape forward and, and think about what happens if they're the first to fully uh, capture the uh, artificial intelligence, quantum computation all these different technologies that are emerging that will extend its capacity to, to uh, influence what goes on beyond its own borders. And I think, I think it's, uh, but the two things go together. I, I, I tend to liken the ideology of identity politics, which we sometimes call wokeism, which I think is a pretty good uh, epithet, uh, uh, to a, a kind of uh, civilizational autoimmune disorder which uh, prevents, you know, limits its capacity to respond to external challenges. Let me ask you then about your own efforts to combat this. Now, I, I know it's just started. We've started an online magazine, Politics and Civilization. Why another magazine and, and why now? Well, this came out of uh, a series of discussions we had in a, a group by, uh, called the Black East Philosophy Forum based in the Blue Mountains which uh, where we, you know, it's, it's existed for, I think, 18 years now, but we, we've been talking about a broad range of philosophical issues. I, when I did, uh, went to university and did electrical engineering, I studied philosophy one uh, as part of that, which you could do, in, not as part of the electrical engineering course, but as a side <laughs> thing. And I, it, I developed a, uh, uh, quite an interest in, in the field and, um, but it just in the last few years, I thought it was important to try and take a longer term philosophical view, if you like, of 
what's happening to in our world and in our the forces that are shaping our civilization, and try to identify how those longer-term tectonic shifts, which I've already referred to, relate to current political debates. And uh, so it's that uh, that's the, the specific remit of, of this uh, website to try and uh, explore those issues of that kind. Um, Peter, you've written on politics and civilization that freedom of the spe- freedom of speech, freedom of the press, democratic elections, independent judiciaries, these are not just the foundation of Western civilization. These are the foundations of civilization. Do you stand by that? Uh, I don't quite say that. Uh, what I tried to emphasize is that they're not somehow the exclusive property of the West. You see a society like Taiwan, for example, which is a thoroughly okay. free society, but it's, I, I, I regard Taiwan as a, as a beautiful synthesis of the best of Western and Chinese culture. Uh, and it gives the lie mm-hmm. to the claim that uh, belief in the things you just mentioned is, is something which is the exclusive preserve of the West. I think to, to talk about these matters is just a mat, you know, just an issue of defending Western civilization as a wrong framing. Then uh, if it's not just Western civilization, is it in some broad sense... Liberal civilization. Post-enlightenment liberal civilization is the formulation I would go for. So is that, is that liberalized civilization for everyone or is a liberal civilization only for people who embrace liberalism? Would it be a good thing for that to spread beyond its current confines? Um, I think it would be a good thing for it to spread beyond its current confines, but in the real world, we have to recognize that uh, uh, there, there are alternative civilizations that see things quite differently. For example, Islamic civilization. As a, as a quite okay. different conception of human rights to the universalist uh, conception of it that we have in the West. I mean, in, in Islamic civilization, all human rights are subject to Sharia. So, uh, you right. know, if you, the, uh, the, if you look at the so-called Cairo Declaration on uh, Human Rights in the, in the Islamic world, which was embraced, adopted by all the Muslim-majority countries in the Palestinian Authority, um, you see each phrase, that, some of which are familiar from the Universal Declaration adopted by the UN, it, the, the qualifier is added subject to Sharia, to the extent consistent with Sharia, okay. which, is, which is a different conception. So I'm not so, claiming that all civilizations have the features that I think uh, we should particularly value, but, um, but in the face of that and in the face of you know, autocratic, uh, an autocratic conception of civilization as we see in CCP-controlled China, we need to be prepared to defend the virtues of what, of okay. what our civilization has been able to achieve and what it delivers, and not be apologetic and groveling right. and constantly self-lacerating, uh, as is the current fashion in Western academia. Well, let me ask you then, who... Who are the we and the our we're talking about? I mean, is the threat to liberal civilization in Australia, is the main threat posed by Muslim immigrants? Is the main threat posed by Chinese interference? Or is the main threat posed by people who've grown up in liberal Australia 
who no longer embrace that heritage? Well, I would say the latter. Uh, you know, if I could return to the metaphor I gave of an autoimmune disease, there are alternative conceptions of how civilization should be run. And, uh, and, and we should be prepared to defend the, the kind of elements that we have here, which I think are of value. And therefore, uh, the battle in the first instance is an internal one to, to mm -hmm. the culture war, if you like, uh, which so many, mm -hmm. um, even conservative politicians who uh, seem terribly, you know, including people like Scott Morrison, incredibly reluctant to embrace. I mean, Scott Morrison, okay. if you recall, said he, he's not really interested in the culture wars, but Unfortunately for him, the, he might not be interested in the culture wars, but the culture of warriors are very much interested in him. And uh, <laughs> right. so I, think, I think it's uh, kind of naive on the part of uh, political figures to think they can just ignore all this. Right. Now, Peter, unknown to you, we've had some minor technical problems. Uh, viewers have had to switch over to a new stream, so I want to welcome everyone back into this stream. I did do a hello to viewers. Let me uh, just say, if you have questions for Peter, please do get them in in this new stream that you're currently listening to. And we will uh, feed those questions through to Peter. Uh, Peter, is it really true that identity politics is fundamentally illiberal? I, I mean, aren't people who are engaging in identity politics really just embracing their own freedoms to identify however they want? Isn't that no, I, 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 the problem with identity politics is that it seeks to define people essentially by their member membership of an intersecting set of categories based around race, gender, sexual preference, and so on. And uh, it, it, it wants to limit uh, people's ability to speak other than as members of those categories. For you, there's a classic uh, illustration of that with uh, Ayanna Presley who's one of the so-called squad of radical Congress members led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But she gave a speech where, you know, which I've got on the site somewhere, where, where she says, we don't want any more black faces that don't speak as black voices. We don't want any more brown faces that don't speak as brown voices. That is to say, you've got to stick to certain scripts and people, right. Uh, black or brown people who depart from those scripts uh, right. are likely to face denunciation. Uh, there's a number of epithets that are likely to be thrown at them. Sarah Hayder, who sure. founded a group called the Ex-Muslims of North America, um, gave a, a very good talk on this to the American Humanist Society, where she said her erstwhile friends on the left, she expected hostility when she defected from Islam from Muslims, of course, and Islamic organisations, but she got equal right. hostility from her erstwhile friends on the left who denounced her as a right. an Uncle Tom, a house Arab. And then and the, uh, mm -hmm. the other term that's creeping into academia is, um, uh, uh, what's the term, um, native informant. In other words, you're kind of an identity trait. So it, it's fundamentally right. different and illiberal and... Uh, you know, hostile to the, to the conception that each right. person has a right to identify as they choose and to express their views without let or hindrance. Now, let me get to some of our viewer comments and questions. Julie does say that liberalism as 
I understand it, is a free dialectic of encounters between peoples and their dialogue exchange under the law, the common law and the constitutionality of governments. We'll leave that as a comment. Um, Armin wants to ask a question. What are the cultural factors that make liberalism work well? Um, I, I think that, that until quite recently, there, there was there were political differences across, uh, between different political parties and ideological tendencies, but there was a, a common ground about certain things. For example, the idea that uh, I might listen to you and I might totally disagree with what you're saying, but I don't dispute for a minute your right to say it. You know, that, that's just mm -hmm. a very basic thing, which is not accepted by many people nowadays. If people might say things like, you know, instead of saying, I disagree with what you say, but you have a perfect right to say it, but I think it's wrong for the following reasons. Instead, you get, uh, I don't like what you say. I'm offended by it. You should not be allowed to, to say it. And if possible, I'll punish you for saying it. I mean, J.K. Rowling, of course, is a, a, uh -huh. a perfect example of how that's working out today. I was just looking the other day at... Um, uh, Twitter feeds, which uh, overheard, you know, impure stance on um, right. uh, transgender uh, identity. She, she, you know, there were people calling for it to be killed and quit tweet after tweet saying, I'd like to kill J.K. Rowling. But, you know, if you go back 40 years, that would be pretty much unthinkable, especially from people who imagine themselves to be progressive. Well, let me challenge you on that, you know, these days. Christopher asks, is it harder today to agree to disagree than it has been in the past? Is that really true? Well, I think it is. Uh, surveys of, of college students in America show that very clearly. That, that people, increasing numbers of people feel afraid to express their views on, on certain issues. In the UK, you have... Um, Ms. Yougov or Gallup did a, a survey of, the, uh, of a sample of the British population, one third of, that, of whom said they, that they're afraid to express their real views about certain particularly sensitive issues. That, I think, is new. But, well, but have, have, these, uh, have these opinions always been there and simply not been expressed? So the skeptics suggest that today people just don't keep opinions to themselves. Even if something is of no direct concern to them, they just spew it out on social media. And the skeptic does say, yes, I would include myself here. So a bit of a personal self-reflection. But is it the condemnation? Well, is it that, that desire to shut down that's new? Or is it just the actual expressing of it on social media that's new? Um, well, I think what, what is new is that uh, people, quite a few people, expect that if they say what they think, it's likely to lead to social and professional death. I think that's new. That's fundamental. Social media has certainly made it far easier. It's a bit kind of a force multiplier to, you know, reinforcing witch hunts. Uh, you know, right. the most extraordinary case I can think of that, in, you know, there's innumerable examples, but what became of Sir, Sir Timothy Hunt, the British molecular biologist and Nobel laureate for medicine in 2003. He went to a uh, conference of women scientists in Seoul in South Korea and he made some 
half-assed little joke about, you know, problem with right, right. women in elevator joke. fall in love with them or something. And, and, he conclu- and he concluded by saying, but don't take any notice of me, I'm an old fogey. And he, and he said, it's very important that women get involved in science. And so that's how he concluded. Now, after he said that, somebody tweeted that, leaving mm-hmm. off the last bit where he right. self-deprecated and said, don't take any notice of me. This went viral on Twitter in literally in 24 hours. And as he was flying home from Seoul to London, he, his career was destroyed. This is mm. a, a Nobel laureate in physics, a fellow of the Royal, uh, not physics, uh, medicine, Chemistry. a fellow mm-hmm. of the Royal Society, um, a founding member of the European Research Council, emeritus professor at uh, University College London, mm-hmm. lost all those positions. Literally, you know, pretty much in, in 48 hours. Well, that's the, that's the climate we but, live in today. Well, but is, is that really new? I mean, de Tocqueville complained about that in Democracy in America. He said he would rather face the censors in France than the mob in America. Uh, for that matter, John Stuart Mill in On Liberty, for which the show is named, uh, said that the key threat to freedom of speech was not government control, it was social control, the control exerted by society, by peer pressure. So is, is this something new or something that we're just newly attuned to? Uh, I think it is far more severe than it was in the past. And in part, that's okay. due to the, uh, as I said, the force multiplier effect uh, of witch hunts, which, you know, a witch hunt, a global witch hunt can occur, you know, in the space of a day, which was never the case uh, in right. earlier eras. That's part of it. But the mindset is the key okay. thing. The idea. Yeah, nobody, well, uh, doesn't matter what his uh, achievements are, doesn't matter what his lifetime he's achieved in his lifetime, the benefits he's brought to humanity, a feeble joke about women in laboratory uh, is, a, is a professional death sentence. That's the mentality which I, for which I don't think there's uh, a great, you know, certainly in the present century anyway, in, in, the, in the liberal democracies. Right. Even worse would be a joke about women in the laboratory, but ah. I won't make that joke. <laughs> Anthony, Anthony wants to ask, to what extent is our civilization dependent on individual people, that is the members of the civilization themselves being virtuous? Very uh, important, I think, uh, and, and cultivation of, of certain virtues uh, is obviously very important. People need to stand up to this stuff. People need to recognise they shouldn't apologise for things for which no apology is due. Uh, I, I think it's essential. All right. Christopher wants to ask, has social media, uh, uh, this is a leading question, but I'd like you actually to maybe unpack it more. Has social media become the weapon of the woke mob? Yes. I, I think it has. But is that really... Uh, but but is that, I mean, is there really a woke mob? Are we maybe exaggerating here? Are we building a, a, a mountain out of molehills? Or is it really as, as bad as Christopher's question uh, would suggest? Uh, well, the, the instance I just gave, I, I think, indicates that it's, uh, it's all too serious. There's a thing, you can give innumerable. Like, look at the treatment of J.K. Rowling. A person of um, unimpeachable progressive credentials until she stepped out of line 
on on transgender uh, orthodoxy. Look at the the the, the ferocious right. attack she's come under, and and I, it's just that she's so powerful because of a huge market for her books and uh, right. her wealth that, that she can withstand it. But uh, anybody else facing that right. would, would just go under. Now, I have a question, and it's a personal question about you. So really, it's up to you whether or not you want to, to what extent you want to engage with this. I'll leave that to your judgment. Winton asks about your, your the own uh, assault that you've experienced in the past, physical assault. Do you believe that political violence is more or less now than it was in 1980? Um, well... The, uh, what, what happened to me on that occasion really had nothing to do with what we're arguing about now. This is uh, back in the, um, uh, when I first got involved in Labour Party politics in inner Sydney, uh, you, know, you had local government areas under the control of what were, in fact, criminal organisations linked to organised crime. And uh, if I'd known what I was getting into, I, I doubt very much I would have proceeded with it. Um, but uh, so I ran up against that. So that was an act of political violence, but it was u- almost unique in Australian history. I mean, it, the, there was a prime minister. Yeah, there have been odd occasions way back in the early part of the 20th century. I'm just trying to think of which prime, uh, prime minister was implicated. In. But the, um, it, 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 it was a, a one-off unique event, I think. Okay. I don't think it's possible to generalize too much from that. Right. So uh, let me get back to today. Um, what do you think liberalism, the skeptic wants to know, what do you think a liberal viewpoint would be on vaccines and lockdowns, essentially on everything we're experiencing today with the coronavirus crisis? Well, that's an interesting one. That's, that, that's uh, what you'd call a wicked problem because um, there's a very powerful incentive uh, impetus to avoid um, spreading the, the virus and to the extent people, you know, a population is vaccinated, that's limited. On the other hand, there are risks associated with, with vaccines. They're very small risks, but they, they exist. And, to, you know, the, whether you can, it's appropriate to coerce people to take vaccines either, and, and this doesn't have to be done by an explicit law, it can be done by, uh, for example, if all the Airlines have, um, you know, require proof of vaccination to fly. That's that's kind of a form of coercion. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it illustrates, I suppose, the dilemma of, of, of liberalism. My inclination, I, I I listen to people I generally agree with on this who, who seem to think it's <laughs> outrageous, but I I think the balance needs to be struck more towards. You know, we have to acknowledge the rights of people not to be killed by a friggin' virus. You know, at some point, that um, starts to outweigh. You know, so, so, so some sort of uh, measures to at least encourage people or create a strong incentive to take a vaccine. I, I think are appropriate. Right now, today is literally the final day of the financial year. So I have to make an obligatory plea. If anyone would like to make a one last donation to support the Center for Independent Studies, that support link should be coming up in the chat window right now. We really appreciate it. Center for Independent Studies is 
independent, meaning it does not do sponsored research. It relies entirely on contributions from people like you. Um, Peter, one final question for you, which is how can people support the Politics and Civilization magazine and the entire effort surrounding that you, you've put together? What can they do well, for uh, politics and civilization? Uh, we've only just started it up. Well, we don't actually have a fundraising effort because it's pretty much done by me. But um, right. it'd be great if some people uh, signed up on the website and uh, kept track of it and maybe contributed to discussions going forward. We're going to, in terms of where it's likely to go, I'd like to get beyond the critique aspect, complaining about all the things that are bad things that are happening and try to think about how we can construct a more positive future. And how, what I'm particularly interested in as, a, as somebody who was involved in left-wing politics is to ask whether we can pull together some sort of a coalition that straddles traditional ideological boundaries right. to defend the core features of uh, liberal civilization. Right. Well, best wishes in that effort. Peter Baldwin, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And thanks also to our producer, Nico Malian. Our executive producer is Max Hawk Weaver. The director of the Center for Independent Studies is Tom Switzer. Next week, tune in to hear Glenn Fay talk to Dr. Anthony Dillon about truth-telling in Indigenous affairs. It'll be a good one. Uh, thanks all of you for watching, and we hope you see us next week on 